Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ. The title today is Crummy Faith, Mark chapter 7, Crummy Faith, and you'll see why in a few minutes. Now this is really part two, we're in Mark chapter 7, 24 to 30, this is really part two. Part one was last time we met. Go on the podcast, listen, because it it all runs together. We looked at how there's an Old Testament type, an Old Testament picture of this, what Jesus does is healing today. And it deepens the meaning. When we understand the Old Testament, how it connects to the New Testament, we see what the picture is. It deepens the meaning of what, what Jesus came to do for us. We saw in 1 Kings 17 that Elijah, and then we also looked at 2 Kings 4, Elisha, how they both brought a child back to life, and how this is a picture of what Jesus is doing. Even though he's not bringing a child here back to life, he's delivering a child from from, uh, Satan's power. And we saw how Jesus fulfilled Elijah's ministry. We focused mostly on Elijah and how this, this miracle he did in the same exact place that Jesus did the miracle, same area, Tyre and Sidon. He works the same miracle. They both did the miracle, same place. Powerful story. How Elijah touched the, the dead body and became defiled, and how Jesus came to do that, took our sin upon himself, became unclean so that we could become clean. Just really, really powerful stuff there. But he also came, and this is the fulfillment of that type, he also came to break Satan's power over our lives and to restore our lives. And that's going to be the, the focus today. And this is a message we really need in the USA today, isn't it? For those who are a little older like myself, we've seen the difference. We've seen the increase in demonic activity, the increase in strongholds, ministry. What a difference from when I started 30 years ago. You know, there was very little dealing with strongholds and and, and Satan's attacks. But now it's like a major part of ministry because the doors have been open in our country through many, many demonic doorways and new age and all kinds of stuff and uh, the occult and the, the, the Internet and all the different garbage on the internet just has opened so many strongholds and demonic doorways so this message we need today in usa today before we put our faith in jesus christ we are all like this child we read it and i'm gonna read it again in just a moment we're all like this child we're all under satan's control every one of us before we become a christian we're under satan's power we're pow's pow's in fact look at uh, i'm going to start with ephesians 2 i'm going to read a passage to you here in ephesians chapter 2 Verses 1 and 2, it says this. As for you, and this is describing every one of us before Christ, B.C. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Every one of us was under Satan's power before we put our faith in Jesus Christ. Every one of us. You see these videos in the news of the ISIS and what they're doing with people taking a prisoner and, and then beheading them and abusing them and killing them and just taking whole villages captive if they don't go along. Christians for sure and even many moderate Muslims, they take prisoner and they, they kill them and they abuse them, they torture them. Horrible videos. But yet that is a picture of every one of us, what we were like before we put our faith in Christ. We were under that same power. This is the same madman. Satan had the power over us at that time. And that's the way he treated us. And maybe you're saying you're not a Christian yet. You are there. That's a picture of where you are today. And you don't even know it. You, just, you may not even know it, but you just know something's not right. 
Something's not quite right. Every one of us needs to be freed by the power of Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a powerful message, a life-changing message here in Mark chapter 7, but let me start with prayer. Father, we thank you for the worship today. We thank you for getting us into the building today for the worship after so much going on out there, Lord. We just thank you for a place to worship and a place to hear your word. And now we pray that your spirit would speak to us and break strongholds and break Satan's power in our life and save us. If anybody here has never put their faith in Jesus Christ, that they would be saved from sin, from Satan's power, from the world's power and, and, and be in become a child of you, God. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's pick it up in Mark chapter 7, and we'll read 24 to 30, first of all. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an evil spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she replied, but even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply you may go, the demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Wow. Let's look over at a parallel passage. It's Matthew 15, 21 to 28. It's the same story told by Matthew. Mark is writing to Gentiles. Matthew is writing to Jews. All right? So we're going to get both perspectives. And in both, the Holy Spirit spoke through both of them. Same story, but there's some added things here in Matthew because he's writing to the Jews here. The Holy Spirit was speaking to them. And in Matthew 15:21 it says this, Leaving that place, Jesus withdrew to the region of Tyre and Sidon. A Canaanite woman from that vicinity came to him, crying out, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. What, what is that title, son of David? Messianic. Mark didn't record it. He's writing to Gentiles. But Matthew, the Holy Spirit records it through Matthew because he's writing to Jews. That's a messianic title. He says, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. My daughter is suffering terribly from demon possession. Jesus did not answer a word, so his disciples came to him and urged him, send her away, for she keeps crying out after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel. The woman came and knelt before him, Lord, help me, she said. He replied, it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. Yes, Lord, she said. But even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. Then Jesus answered, Woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. Wow. So Tyre and Sidon, we saw that last week, remember, with uh, Elijah. What's the significance of Tyre and Sidon? Gentile territory. It's a Gentile territory. Both Elijah and Jesus left Israel to go into Gentile territory at this critical juncture of their ministries because their lives were in danger. And it wasn't either's time to face, wasn't Elijah's time to face, face Ahab, and it wasn't Jesus' time to go to the cross. And so they both leave, they both go to the same place for, until God's timing. 
Also, Mark is writing to Gentiles. We, and Mark here. Mark is writing to the Gentiles in Rome. This is who he is writing to. And Jesus had just finished teaching that externals weren't important. The internals, the heart was what important. And now he gives them a vivid picture through this Gentile woman. And this woman had major obstacles. Think of the obstacles that this woman has in getting healing for her daughter. You think you're facing some obstacles? Moving forward spiritually? Breaking strongholds? Look at what this woman had to face. She was a Gentile. Huge. At this point, the Gentiles were not under a covenant relationship with God. Now, they could become a convert, come and join the Jewish people and become a convert. But the Gentiles people were not under, and that's most of us, most of us, probably 90% of us here are Gentiles, uh, but you're not Jewish, you're Gentile. If you didn't come, don't have Jewish parents, you're Gentile. At this point, they were not under a covenant relationship with God, although that's going to change very quickly, as we will see here. She's also a woman, a woman. And in this culture, women were often treated like cattle. You know, they were, and still, many parts of the Middle East, they still are. I remember when I was in Egypt, I told this before. I was in Egypt at the pyramids and I was talking to this guy. He had a camel on him. We were all taking turns riding the camel for a dollar or something. And, it, and I just said, I really like this camel. And there was two girls in our group and I was, there was two single girls and they were standing near me. And, and he's like, well, you can have this camel. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I want one of your wives. I said, you'll trade me a camel? Yeah, yeah, I'll trade you the camel for one of your wives. He assumed these two ladies, girls were my wives. And I said, I looked at him and I said, hear that, hear that, girls? I could trade one of you for the camel. And they're, stop it. Quit joking around. Come on, stop it. I go, boy, I don't know. And I start talking to him, dickering with him. We're having fun. They're getting really scared. Come on, cut it out. He'll really take us, you know. And I, and finally I said, well, I really want this camel, but I don't think I can get on an airplane, so I'm going to have to say no, you know. But, so, but he was really, really going to trade one of the girls for the camel. And, and, and Jesus came to elevate women. This is what people don't Never appreciate. Jesus talked to women. He hung out with women. He healed women. He touched women. He, he elevated women to a place of spiritual equality in God's eyes. And, and we're told in the Bible to treat them with loving respect. Treat our wives and all women with loving respect. That is such a foreign concept to, to many countries even today. The way that women are treated by Christian men it would shock much of the world. And that's why I always get a little bit upset when I hear people, so-called women's lib people and feminism saying how the church, the Christian church is holding women down and hurting women. And, and if only we get rid of Christianity, I'm like, you have no idea what would happen if Christianity went. Christianity is what elevates women. You know, that's what, that's what women are supposed to be treated in a, as, as queens and princesses. And, and the women's lib, I think, has lowered women to be treated like men. That's no great thing. The Bible says treat women better than you treat a man. That's the biblical teaching. So, she was a Gentile, she's a woman, a woman, and she was in a society that was also an obstacle because she's a widow. Obviously, from this passage, she's a widow. There's no husband. She's talking to Jesus. That would be unheard of for anybody to do. Their husband would have to do the talking and the woman wouldn't even be there. But she's obviously a widow from the context, just like Elijah's widow. We talked about the last, last time. And women, widows were considered a drain on society. Think of, of homeless people. And we have, you know, the, the, the bus ministry that uh, Kathy's part of. What do most people want to do with homeless people? 
They just want them to go away. They just want them to disappear. They want to push them to the next town. That's the way people saw widows at this time. They were a drain on society. And not only was, was society against her, but Satan was against her. Satan was against her. He had possessed her daughter. And at this time, before Jesus came, a possession was a life sentence. There were some quacks out there who tried to aggravate the demons. They couldn't do anything about them. That was a life sentence, a demonic possession, before Jesus came. It's no longer a life sentence. We have the power of Jesus Christ now. But at that time, it was a life sentence. And not only that, but the disciples were against her. Look at these bozos, right? What do they say? Send her away. Not only that, they urged. And the word in Greek for urge is like really strong. It's like urged. They were like, Jesus, get rid of this woman. That's what they were saying. They urged him. This was supposed to be our vacation, right? They just got done with all this. We're going on a vacation. This is supposed to be our vacation. Don't bother me. This bag lady is following us around on our vacation. Get rid of her. Now, before you judge her, if you've... Uh, judge them, have you ever been on a vacation, maybe on a cruise, and you stop in at one of these ports, and you walk in, you're going to go out and buy some trinkets, and those people come along, they start begging, what do you What do you say? Hey, come hang out with my family. No, you're like, just, I wish they'd leave us alone, these beggars, right? This is what, this is what they saw her as a beggar. And, and but, but really, what is it with these guys? Every time somebody's in need, what do they say? Oh, Jesus, get rid of them. 5,000 people are hungry. They're really hungry. They're going to faint along the way. And they're like, you know, Jesus, send them away. Tell me we'll find food somewhere. Little kids want to be picked up by Jesus. The parents want the, Jesus to pick up and bless the little children. Get, get back, kids. Get, get back, get back, get back. No, 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 no children. This is a 55 and over discipleship community. Yeah, yeah. Get back, get back. No kids. Uh, you know, and then this woman comes along and they're like, get lost. What, what is with these guys? They're just like us, aren't they? We are these disciples. This is, and, and, and each time Jesus teaches them and us a lesson about reaching out and having a heart for ministry and a heart for people. Even though not obstacles, even Jesus appears to be against her. He ignores her. I don't see a woman. He ignores her. And then when he finally talks to her, he calls her a dog. Even he seems like he's against her. Why? What is he doing? Doesn't that seem pretty mean? Well, Jesus is testing this woman. He's testing her faith. And he's teaching the disciples a very important lesson. He's testing her. He's testing her faith. And he's teaching the disciples and us a very, very important lesson about faith and ministry. Let's look what Jesus said to her. Look what he says to her. First thing he says is, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. And the woman recognizes. this. Remember in Matthew, she calls him son of David. That's a messianic term. Isn't that crazy and sad at the same time? That this Gentile woman recognizes something that the teachers of Israel, with all their master's degrees and religious PhDs did not recognize. They didn't recognize Jesus, and this Gentile dog does. Crazy, isn't it? She recognized something. And, but she also recognized that he was the Jewish Messiah. And she also recognized that, that he was sent to the Jewish people. 
God's sovereign plan has always and will always involve the Jewish people and the nation of Israel. Understand that. God's sovereign plan has always and always will involve the nation of Israel and the people of Israel in a very special way. And these churches out there teaching replacement theology that the church has replaced Israel some way and now they're they're no longer necessary in the nation of Israel is just like a traditional place but it's not important anyway. That is that is that goes against God's word from Genesis to Revelation. From Genesis to Revelation Israel, you can read it. Israel, the nation of Israel and the Jewish people have a very special purpose in God's plan. And it's interesting that these replacement theology people out there, it's interesting that they get this wrong and they also get Revelation wrong. Because how do you explain Revelation without Israel? You have to allegorize and make it all, you know, an allegory and, and it's all symbolic. It doesn't mean anything literal anymore. Well, that, that's why they get Revelation so wrong too. Because Israel is God's timepiece. Very, very important. Now, the church is also very important, and we know we've been all grafted together spiritually. There's all that. That's a whole other sermon. But, but the bottom line is God's plan is to use Abraham's seed to reach the world and teach the world about the one true God. That is Israel's job. That was their job from the start. In fact, in Exodus 19, 5 and 6, when they came out of Egypt, he, he told them that. In Exodus 19, he says this. I'm just going to read part of it. He says, Although the whole earth is mine, toward the end of five there, although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. That was their job, to be a holy nation, a kingdom of priests. Same thing First Peter, that, what we're to do today. That, that was their purpose. It was their purpose. Their Old Testament mission, their purpose was to reach the world, show the world Jesus Christ. Show, uh, I'm sorry, show them God, which Jesus Christ is part of that, obviously. But show them God and show them their holiness and lead people to the one true God. How did they do? Very badly. They didn't get it. They called them dogs. You know, they didn't get it. They did a bad job. How are we doing today? How do we see people that are that we don't like? That are different from us spiritually. How do we view all these terrorists out there? Right? Do we get angry and just want to wish they all just would be killed? Or do we say, wow, there's a whole billion people out there that need Jesus Christ. Do we keep that perspective? And it didn't stop with Abraham, this call. Because Jesus Christ fulfilled something that Abraham started. Jesus Christ fulfilled that mission. In fact, in Romans 1, 16 and 17, it says this. This is how Jesus fulfilled Abraham's mission. Romans 1, 16, 17 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from faith is revealed that is by faith from first to last. Just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. The gospel of Jesus Christ. First to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. What is the gospel? That Jesus died on the cross to pay for our sin. He fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. And if we will put our faith in Jesus Christ, we will put our trust in Him, we can be forgiven for our sin. We can become children of God. We're no longer under the power of Satan anymore. And we, can, we know we're going to have a, a real life here, a life of freedom in Christ here, and a life of eternity with, with Jesus Christ, with His Father in heaven someday. That's the gospel. 
Jesus fulfilled that. And Jesus Christ, a Jew, picked 12 Jewish disciples and presented himself to Israel. That was step number one. But that was just phase number one. He then fulfilled Abraham's purpose. After the cross, after the resurrection, what did he do? The Great Commission. What did he tell those 12 Jewish apostles? He told them, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, Therefore... All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. All nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. The last words of Christ on this planet earth at that time. Commissioning them. That's the great commission. That is our job. But that's the job he gave to, the, to his twelve disciples. To reach us, the Gentiles. Phase two was, phase one, the Jews. Phase two was the Gentiles. That's us. But this, when he's talking to the woman here, now I want to rewind the tape. He's talking to the woman. This is pre-cross, pre-resurrection, before he died on the cross to pay for the sins, before he rose again from the dead. The Gentiles are still on the outside looking in. Most of us here are still on the outside looking in. We're not in a covenant relationship. And yet, look what he he says next. This is what proves it. Mark chapter 7. Go back to Mark chapter 7, verse 27. He says, First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to their dogs. He calls her a dog. And that's not shocking. You know why? Because that's what the Jewish people referred to the Gentiles. At this time, that's what they referred to Gentiles as. Dogs. They were spiritual inferiors to the Jewish people. And it's true, they were. But I think they missed the whole point of the Old Testament mission. It's kind of hard to witness to people and tell them about the one true God when you call them dogs. Right? Oh, uh, hey, dogs. I want to tell you about somebody. Reverse it. D-O-G-G-O-D. I want to tell you about God, you know. Their ears are not going to be open, right? But the picture that Jesus uses here is not as harsh as it sounds. He actually kind of does a little play on the whole calling the Gentiles dogs. But the word he uses <clears throat> for dogs really is puppies. Little little pet dogs. Little, little doggy puppies that, that the kids would keep in the house. And he said, it's not right to take food from the kids and feed little puppies, is what he's really saying. Although uh, uh, at... Our house, you don't need to do that because there's so many crumbs underneath the table. Uh, you know, it, it, if when we did have the dog, she was getting pretty plump. I think she's lost a lot of weight ever since uh, Andrew and Kim took her. But uh, she looks a lot more sleek because there's there's a lot of food under the table for that 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 puppy. And uh, and and we all know this isn't exactly true either because I was famous for feeding our dogs. They would my. They would get whatever we got, you know, because especially when I didn't like it. My mom would make liver. We got a lot of meat, and I wasn't a big meat eater. So we'd have liver, cabbage, and ham. Oh, I hated cabbage and ham. But I didn't have to worry because as soon as my mom turned around, she was doing something, the dogs were all lined up. They weren't allowed in the house. They were barn dogs. And they would come into the back kitchen, we called it, and they would all sit at the edge of the real kitchen, and they would all sit there waiting because whenever I ate, they knew it was coming. And I would throw them food, and they would, you know, we had five or six dogs at a time. They would all jump up, you know, it's like, you know, you know, like the crocodile feeding, you know, and all that. They would just be jumping up and eating, and, and even good stuff. I, I'd feel sorry for them. I'd, I'd, be, and I'd be grabbing stuff and throwing them, even good stuff. But we, Jesus said, you don't typically do that. But I, I, I always, I couldn't resist it. They would just look at you with those eyes, and 
I'd be, you know what I mean? Yeah, you'd look at those eyes and that, that tag wailing and their ears up and I'd be throwing them ham and, and all kinds of good stuff. Well, anyway, this, Jesus saying though, he's saying, hey, kids have to eat. It's not right to take their food away and feed it to the dogs. So Jesus tests her. He calls her a dog and says she doesn't deserve anything from him. And he was right. And Jesus tests her. But let's look at her amazing response. And I want to look at the response in Matthew 15 because I, it brings out even more of it. In Matthew 15, 27 and 28, she says, yes, Lord. Now, the word Lord, it's actually in Mark both places. She calls him Lord in both places. But in Mark, the interesting thing is that's the only place in the Gospel of Mark that someone calls Jesus Lord. It's all over the other Gospels. But in that particular one, she's the only one who got it. Crazy, isn't it? This Gentile, he's writing to Gentiles. This Gentile woman's the only one who got it. These Pharisees didn't get it, but she got it that he was the Lord. He's God. And she says, yes, Lord. Uh, 27. She said, but, not, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered, woman, you have great faith. Your request is granted and her daughter was healed from that very hour. Yes, Lord. And she was, but then she takes the position of humility. I am a dog, but even dogs get some crumbs. She was humble. She recognized that Jesus had a special plan for the Jews. She didn't dispute that. She didn't say, no, it's not their land. No, we're just as good as that. No, she recognized God's special plan for the Jews, but she begged to be included in some way. Think of an illegal alien. There's lots of illegal aliens all over New Hope. And I'm good friends with a lot of them. And, and, and they, they have no rights. They cannot demand rights because they're not citizens. But they sure appreciate a helping hand. And it's great when we can give them a helping hand because they're in a tough spot. No matter what our persuasion on all that goes, they still are needy people. And it's great we can. And that's what this woman was. She's an illegal alien. She's coming to God as an illegal alien. She's coming to Jesus with her hands out, not demanding, but just hoping for something. And she passes the test. He's testing her. She passes the test and, 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 and also teaches us some very important faith lessons here. Look what she did. She took his exact words and used them as a prayer. She took his exact words and used them as a prayer. Give me some crumbs. I'll take crumbs. She accepted her position as a humble beggar. And guess what? We need to do the same thing. Whether we're Jewish or, or Jewish background or Christian, Christian background, we need to do the same thing, don't we? None of us deserves God's grace. Nobody deserves God's grace. She believed in Jesus Christ. Just as we need to believe the words of Jesus Christ to be saved. We need to say, I do believe in Jesus, that he died on the cross for my sin. And I repent of those sins. And I put my faith in Jesus. And I give my life to him. We need to believe in Jesus. And she persisted. Just as we need to do as Christians. We need to persist in prayer. God, God, there's a, there's a testing that God puts us through. He wants us to persist because he's testing. He's growing something in us. He's developing our faith through what we're going through. We, is, we daily need to, to persist. He's teaching us something about prayer here. I, as you know, I have lots of kids. Uh, and uh, 
they hound me. They hound, my kids hound me. And one thing they really hound me about, hey, Dad, can I have this or that? Or you said you would do this or that. And they always are hounding me for something. But they remember everything I say. They don't forget a thing. But one thing they really like is, is I, I'm like a, I'm a snack guy. I keep a lot of snacks. We call it fun food. Some people call it junk food. I call it fun food. Uh, and I hide it in my desk. It's in my office somewhere. It's in my desk and I hide it. You know, I got fun stuff, you know, it's stuff that some moms wouldn't want their kids eating. But I, I, I have it hidden, you know, and, and they know it's for them. And they know I'm, I surprise them. We'll sit down and watch a movie. Hey, I got these sprinkles and chips and candy and all this. We have this great time, right? So, but they come into my office and they look for it when I'm out there. I can tell the drawers are open, things are mixed up, papers and boxes are open. I know, who's been in my office? Not me, not me, nobody ever, nobody ever, right? I don't know who not me is. I thought we had 13 kids. Apparently we have 14 kids, not me is our 14. And, uh, And so, but they find it. And then they start working me over. Are we going to watch a movie tonight? Oh, I don't know. You know well, yeah, but you have blah, blah, blah. How did you know that, you know? And then, come on, Dad, you said we're going to have a movie and watch some. Come on, Dad, get this out. I, I, I get out something healthy to start with, you know, I'll get out, you know, bananas and apples and I'll cut them out. Yeah, but where are the chips? Where's the candy? And they start pounding me for it, right? Well, that's really, and I, and I always give, and I give it to them, but that's what... God is like. God has all these promises he's made to us in his word. He's got all this good stuff for us. But we have to dig and find it. And then we have to ask for it. And that's when we get it. It's the same thing. It's claiming his promises. It's persisting in the promises. He's promised us incredible things in his word. And we have to discover it and bug him for those. The persistent, wit- the persistent widow, remember in Luke? The persistence. And we have to keep persisting and, and claim our promises. And Jesus here commends this woman for her faith. Two times in the Gospels he said somebody had great faith. Two times. One here, and what was the other time? The centurion, Matthew chapter 8, the centurion. Both of them were, guess what? Gentiles. And both were healed from a distance. Both were healed from a distance. You see the picture? It's a, it's a spiritual picture. They, the Gentiles were distant from the covenant at this time. And yet they still were going to share in the blessing of that covenant. There's no accidents in the Bible. Everything is there for a purpose. There's a thread that goes through it all. But... We as Gentiles were distanced, but everything has changed now. Do you know that? This it's changed. Back to Ephesians chapter two. In Ephesians chapter two, verses eleven to thirteen, look at what it says about our position now. Therefore, remember verse eleven, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. That done in the body by the hands of men. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. Without hope and without God in the world. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. That's where we are now. How do we get this? How do we get this blessing? How do we get this relationship with God? The same way the woman did. It's through faith. Back up a couple verses in Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. How do we get this? Same way the woman did. Through faith. Verses 8 and 9. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. There is not one thing you can do to get right with God. The sin that we are in and the the filth that we are in and the rebellion that we are under, there is not one thing that we can do to have a relationship with God as our Father. Not one thing. The only thing we can do is receive a gift. By faith. Faith is trusting. By faith we trust in Jesus Christ. We trust in His grace. The gift that He died on the cross for us. That He paid for that sin. He took it on Himself. He paid our crime. Imagine having a ticket. You owe a million dollars for something big. And Jesus comes along and says, I'll take that ticket. He pays it. Or we deserve to go to to be executed because of some horrible crime we did. Every one of us. Deserves that. And Jesus came and said, I will take that punishment. He went on the cross and died in our place. And if we will put our faith in him, our trust in him, our hope in him, that's how we get that relationship with with God as our Father. And then once we take that step of faith, how do we live in this blessing? There are many spiritual attacks. Satan's going to attack us. The world's going to attack us. Our flesh is going to attack us. The battle constantly with our flesh. Till we die, that battle's going to be there. How do we live in this blessing? Ephesians 2. Let's back up a few more verses. Uh, I'm going to start with verse 1 again. Ephesians 2. Listen to this. As for you, you are dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and are the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it it is by grace you have been saved. The key is to become alive in Christ. If we're living those, living under Satan's power, living under sin, if you're living that way, you are not alive in Christ. A lot of people say, well, I prayed the prayer. That doesn't mean anything. It's the life that shows that the prayer is real. If the life is not different, the prayer was not real. You're still under Satan's power. You're still under condemnation. You're under God's wrath. If it's real, the life will change and it will stay changed. Not saying we don't have some up and downs, but it's going to progressively be heading the right, same direction. The fruit of the Spirit will be there. But the key is to be alive in Christ. How do we live in Christ? How do we do that? Galatians 2.20. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith. And the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We live by faith. We're saved by faith and we live by faith. 
It's the same that we live by faith. When Satan attacks, we put up the shield of faith and we fight. And we keep on fighting. We keep that shield of faith. Say, I am under the blood of Jesus Christ. I don't have to listen to those thoughts anymore. I don't have to give in to those temptations anymore. I don't have to. I'm not Pavlov's dog salivating every time Satan throws a dart at me. I don't have to do it. I'm not saying I'm not tempted. I'm not saying it doesn't doesn't hit me hard. But I don't have to give in. I now have the power of Jesus Christ. I have the Holy Spirit inside of me. Very, very important to understand. That's why we, we use the book Victory Over Darkness and the, uh, the Bondage Breaker and the Search for Significance. And that's why we do discipleship. A lot of you have met with people to be mentored and discipled is to understand who we are and live free in Jesus Christ. If you need that, talk to me. I have people ready to disciple you, ready to mentor, ready to help you overcome whatever you're going through. Nobody has to battle alone. We all can have someone walking alongside of us on that. And, and not only that, when we live by faith, now we say we put up the shield of faith of Satan, but we also say, I'm not going to let anybody or anything steal my blessings. Because I'm going to live by faith. I'm not going to let anyone or anything steal my blessings in Jesus Christ. The blessings he's promised me, the promises he's given me, the close relationship and intimacy that we should have with Jesus that brings us that joy and that peace. I'm not going to let anything do that. I'm going to believe God's promises for my life no matter what I'm going through. Understand, I'm going to believe his promises no matter what I'm going through. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to believe it no matter what trial I'm going through, no matter what I'm going through. I'm going to persist in my prayers of faith until God's purpose is complete. Whether it's healing, whether he develops character in me, whether he develops perseverance in me, whatever he wants to do, I'm going to persevere in that prayer until God's purpose is complete. And it takes persistence. Romans 5, 3 to 5. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. God is developing that persistence in us. It, it takes persistence. Do you ever feel like God is ignoring you? Look at this woman. Jesus ignored her. She could have walked away. She could have given up. He doesn't care about me. He's not going to help me. Do you ever feel that way? Maybe he's testing our faith. No, he is testing our faith and teaching us faith lessons. And when we get through that trial, that's when we see it. Kim, going through the, I just thought of that, when you're going through the cancer and the treatments. Trial, right? But persisting through it. And now the testimonies that you have to share of all that God taught you through that cancer. Was that something you would choose to go through? Anybody here? No. But yet, the, the blessings that both Jeff and Kim share about going through that trial, amazing stories of God's blessings. And, and, and God puts us through these, testing our faith, teaching us faith lessons. And not only that, he's using our lives to teach many other people very important spiritual lessons. Just like he used this woman to teach the disciples something, he's using our lives to teach other people. Think of the crises you've been through. Think of them. And think of how God has used those struggles to touch other people. I know the hardest things I've been through as as a parent and a husband and as a person are the very areas that I'm able to help people the most with. Everything I go through that's hard and difficult that by God's grace I get through and I grow through, that's what I'm able to help other people with the most. 
You know what? It doesn't help people when we're successful. When they see us as Christians and successful and everything going great, that doesn't help people. It makes them mad. makes them jealous. Right? Don't you hate it when someone gets everything given to them, you know? It makes them mad. It doesn't turn their hearts to us. But when they see us going through something, it's easy to be a Christian when we're successful. But when they see us going through something and we still have our faith and we still have that perspective, that's when people come to us and say, what's going on there? It's when they see God's grace in our life. That's when the, the, the most fruitful tool in our life, in God's hands, is our life as we go through these struggles. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us this morning? What is God using in our life to test our faith and teach us lessons on faith? Testing our faith and teaching us faith and also touching other people. What is he using in our life? Will we allow him to grow us and to grow our faith? Will we surrender to him? Will we persist? Will our prayer to this morning be, God, I'm going to persist. I'm going to keep on believing in you. I'm going to keep on trusting you. I'm going to use this time to go to your word and find the promises. And make them a reality in my life. That peace that passes understanding. The joy that that the world doesn't know anything about. I'm going to make these a reality in my life. I'm going to bug you, God. Not to take away whatever I'm going through. Take away my pain. But until you accomplish in my life what you're trying to accomplish. And while we're praying about that, I want to say something to those who have never put their faith in Christ. Maybe you're like this Gentile woman. And you've never put your faith in Jesus yet. But now is the time, just like this woman put her faith in Jesus for her deliverance. Maybe God is using something very difficult in your life to bring you to him. To bring you to the feet of Jesus in a humble way saying, Jesus... I need you. I can't live free. My kids really are struggling and hurting. There's strongholds in my life. There's battles in my life that I just can't face. I need you, Jesus. Put your faith in Jesus right now. Right where you're sitting. To just say, God, forgive me for my sin. I repent of the sin in my life. I repent of the wrong in my life, the garbage in my life. Anything that goes against your word, I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me through your son Jesus, who died on the cross for me. Forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus. I give my life to Jesus. Make me the person you created me to be. Make me like your son Jesus. 
If you've prayed that prayer this morning, you have just been set free. The Spirit of Jesus Christ is now in you, and it's going to be a radical thing. You have been set free of Satan's power. Oh, he's still going to put up a fight. He's going to try to pull you down, but you've been set free of his power. And I want to encourage you to let somebody know, whether you have a family member here or a friend or Tell me on the way out. Tell out the card in the bulletin. Shoot me an email. Text me. Tell, tell somebody so that we can help you grow closer to Christ. More like Christ every day. Father, our prayer this morning is that we would be free in Jesus Christ. Lord, we know it's not about perfection. It's about progress. But Lord, I pray that we would see that increasing fruit in our lives. That assurance that you are really working in our life. I pray that you would break Satan's strongholds and his holds in our life. I know it's a lifelong battle, but I pray that this week we would see something major break in each of our lives. As we live by faith and and act on that faith. Believing and acting on the truth of your word. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.